This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free Podcast Series. I'm your host, Steve Dale, with Dr. Julia Albright, a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, assistant professor at the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine, contributor and supporter of Decoding Your Dog, Decoding Your Cat, both books for the general public. Dr. Albright obtained both a master's degree and in experimental psychology and DVM from the University of Tennessee before completing a residency and fellowship in animal behavior at Cornell University. Dr. Albright's research interests include reducing stress, which is about what we're going to talk about. So, yes, we've got lots of animals, lots of dogs and cats that are stressed. I'm not sure how you define stress. Are they stressed at home before they even go to the veterinary clinic? Dr. Albright, do you think some of our pets, some of the clients' pets are actually stressed at home, at least on occasion, talking about thunderstorm anxiety or separation anxiety. That happens, right? Oh, of course. Yes. And everything, I have unpublished data. I've got lots of, you know, just clinical evidence that everything that happens to that patient before we vets lay our hands on them to do our physical exam matters. So, you know, if they were really stressed out at home, in the car, all those things that can matter once we get to the vet clinic as well. So we definitely want to pay attention to their overall stress level around the home as well. Now, some stress, and I suppose we need to define stress, I would argue is actually adaptive. It's a good thing to be able to tolerate some stress because it's going to happen to people and it's going to happen to our pets as well. So where do you draw the line? Oh, that's a great question. So, so there's no really one overarching accepted definition for stress, but a couple of things that, you know, one, one, one well accepted definition is call as um, from the father of stress, I should say, um, his last name is Cellier. And I would say the new modern father of stress research is um, Robert Sapolsky. And if your audience, um, the audience here is interested in learning more about stress and how it affects um, humans, he's real interesting. He's both a human and a primate researcher, Um, but he's written great books like Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. He's got some new ones out, the names of the books I'm forgetting, but definitely encourage anybody to go read his um, material and watch his YouTube videos and everything as well. So some of those definitions that they use are disruptors of homeostasis. So what is homeostasis? You can kind of think of that as this hypothetical steady state point in our bodies. Um, And so Cellier talked about both eustress, E-U, meaning good, and distress, meaning bad. Uh, And they both trigger the sympathetic nervous system. So that's kind of our, you know, our adrenaline pumping through our body, um, and also part of the stress response is um, this other part of our body that releases cortisol. So those work together 
with an acute stressor or immediate stressor, you know, clear and present danger in front of you, that is important to get your body moving um, and be prepared for that fight or flight response that I think most people have heard that term before. Um, so uh, we're all here because that works, right? We've all avoided danger of some kind due to that stress response. But when we start to get worried, when that system can actually cause disease states um, is chronic stressors. So either repeated exposure to strong stressors or sort of a you know never ending low level or high level stress, that's when those mechanisms that kept us safe from mountain lions, you know, on, or bears, I live here in the Smoky Mountains, so bears on the hike, um, that happening all the time, I think everybody is well aware of now that that is not a good thing for our body. It causes dysregulation in almost every system in our body. So when you were talking about eustress, I was thinking originally you were talking about stress in sheep, but that's not exactly what you're talking no, about. No, no, no. No, uh, and, no I'm talking and, about like roller coasters, yeah. crazy people who jump off of bridges or with bungee cords, that kind of thing. But it's interesting that I can jump off a bungee cord and say this is exciting and not be stressed by it. And you would have to be perhaps pushed off the edge, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're the one who would be excited about it, but you get the point. It's individual. Mm -hmm. Is it the same in our dogs and cats? Well, we don't know. I think that answer has not been fully answered, but maybe more to the point is our body reacts in a similar way. Um, lots of there are lots of similarities between eustress and distress as far as our body is concerned. You know that adrenaline rush. That's why we do that. So that's frightening to some people. It's exhilarating to others. So is that happening in dogs and cats? Probably, right? Play. Um, you know, running down, watching foals run around in the field and your cats tumble downstairs and, you know, jump off things. But we can only guess, as far as I know, nobody's really studied, is that fun for them? But, you know, I don't think you need a PhD in behavior to say that our cats are having fun, cats and dogs, when they're playing. Of course. However, they're not having fun if they're hiding in a corner, maybe defecating or urinating or both in the house because it's storming outside. They're not having fun if you've left the house. And in fact, they do have separation anxiety as just two of many potential examples. And here's a question I get all the time that is impossible for you to answer because you are too young. But do you think that our pets overall are more stressed Today, are we seeing more of these conditions than, say, I'll make up a number, 25 years ago? And if so, why might that be? Hmm. I think that is difficult to answer. I think people are recognizing stress in their pets a little bit more. Um, more people are recognizing stress, I can say that. Um, that they're recognizing and kind of back to the play versus, you know, the example you used about the cat, you know, urinating in the corner over there when frightened. There are certain behaviors and body language 
um, which is so well outlined. I send everybody to the Fear Free Happy Homes to take a look at those videos and those fast scales um, because they're so well done to help you recognize some sort of unmistakable signs of stress in your cats and dogs. So I do think that we are doing a better job helping our families, our us vets, you know, our clients and families um, be able to recognize when things are going wrong. So I think that's one, you know, one, one thing that muddies the water of that question a little bit, you know, are animals more stressed? Um, but, you know, modern life is certainly, there's, there are aspects of it, which undoubtedly are more stressful to our pets. Um, you know, indoor, let's take cats, for example, very controversial, sort of an indoor only cat versus an indoor outdoor cat. That indoor outdoor cat may have a immediate quality of life that's a bit better because we're meeting all their needs um, as far as cognition and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, um, you know, they're more likely to die of hit by a car or to get an infectious disease. There's no doubt they have a shorter life if not done well. So that's one thing we, we're kind of doing in the experimental world is, is there a happy medium somewhere in there? But um, what we do know- I, told, yeah, I was about to say, I totally forgot your question. No, that's okay. You're answering it. <laughs> so what we do know though, is more can be done today to mitigate that stress because of people like you greatly, veterinary behaviorists. So now we understand what stress or fear, anxiety, and stress look like. First off, I think better than we did. And and pet parents better can identify, I think, as well. But what's more, we can do more about it. I, I strongly believe that. Do you agree? Oh, we have so many more options, yes, with Um, You know, the veterinary world is always a little bit behind. We rely on human medicine to bring things to market, to get them FDA approved. So in the pharmaceutical world, you know, starting kind of, I would say the 90s, the aughts, you know, really sort of we were able to prescribe more medications to help our pets. Um, But uh, then again, as sort of the supplement side of things, um, for any sort of, to sort of address and support the health of our various parts of our body. As, as that research started, that is now coming to the veterinary space as well. And it turns out that the brain and your GI system are really well connected and kind of communicate with one another. So dietary supplements can make a difference as well. They're easy enough for pet parents to offer, which is another thing that's important in the real world. Can you talk about that? Oh, the gut-brain access is so exciting. So that is, I, you know, let me see if I can boil it down. And of course, I, I do not consider myself an expert in this. The, the field is just really exploding. Um, but the, the thought is there's a, bi- I should say the thought, it has been shown there is bi-directional communication between our brains and our gut. And in fact, sometimes the gut is called the second brain. It is so richly innervated. And there's a kind of a super highway nerve between the brain and the gut called the vagus nerve. And it's thought that a lot of the communication is sort of through that route. 
Um, but really, it's being changed now to the gut-brain microbiota axis to reflect the fact that the microbiome, which you can define that is sort of the, the bacteria and other microbes living in our, anywhere, our skin, our eyes, our gut, um, and the environment that they live in is called the microbiome. So the microbiota, when they are living life, doing their thing, they create chemicals, basically. And what's really interesting is looking at how those chemicals, which are manufactured by those bacteria, how in both good and bad ways that can affect various systems of the body, including our brain. So not sure how far we want to go into this, but there's um, a group of compounds called short chain fatty acids. And those seem to be and again, I things seem to be unhedging a little bit because I think a whole lot more research needs to be done about it to really work all this out. But some bacteria create these specific short chain fatty acids, which promote the our body to synthesize things like dopamine, serotonin, some other um, neurotransmitters which have been associated with sort of healthy mood. Um, and cognition. So yeah, d just to boil that down again, um, things that are being created in our gut seem to be able to be communicated up to our brain and vice versa. I didn't, that's sort of the exciting new research, but we've known for a very long time that our brains and that, you know, that stress response system, feeling stressed, perceiving stress, that creates sort of a negative environment for, for the most part, um, which can be translated down to our gut. For example, stress can create a, you know, a change in pH, um, which can sort of create an environment that is more, that promotes the, the quote unquote bad bacteria mm -hmm. and makes it more hostile to grow the good bacteria. So that's why we often see things like stress colitis um, or stress diarrhea in our pets um, and other species, of course. Including us, one of those other Including, species. Yeah. I wasn't going to go there, Steve, but if <laughs> you wanted to, that's totally fine with me as well. So how important, if at all, does it make sense as a sort of preventive measure before even a pet experiences, at least obvious to the pet parent or the veterinary professional, any fear, anxiety, and stress to offer, say, Fortiflora, a prebiotic and or probiotic? I certainly do in my pets, in my patients, I should say. So I know that a patient of mine, a canine patient or a feline patient, you know, they are likely to get stress diarrhea when they go bored or even, you know, just mom and dad are gone for the evening um, because they have some separation anxiety. Yes, those animals either sort of the week before they go on vacation or just keep them on that all the time. There's that one type of um, bacteria such as Purina has Fortiflora and Fortiflora Pro, which have been shown in shelter animals in particular um, to decrease the number of days that they have diarrhea because as, as hardworking as our shelters are, 
um, to make the environment less stressful for those dogs and cats. Of course, it's going to be stressful, right? So that's been um, an interesting area for research um, that, and it, again, it has been shown to have fewer days of diarrhea in those kittens and dogs and cats. Um, and yes, there's going to be, other. and there, there is going to be some anxiety in life. So yes, lots of dogs, the door opens and the dog runs to the car and says, yay, let's go, and has a great time going. It doesn't matter where, but other dogs, not so much. They're not loving that car ride as just one example. And, and more and more pet parents wouldn't want to give a pharmaceutical for the occasional car ride. And part of the problem is the car ride is only occasional. But for the anxieties that aren't severe or happen periodically, uh, would you also uh, recommend a dietary supplement? Yes, and just um, there's a couple of them out there for different, you talked about sort of what we would call maybe a maintenance use um, versus sort of occasional or event or as needed. So there's some out there like the Purina Calming Care um, that has been shown, that is more of a daily. So we're not going to take the animals off and on of that. That is, that is utilizing that um, gut-brain axis that we just talked about um, to create, to, to provide more of the bacteria that is shown to be associated with less anxiety. Um, but then there are other products out there um, sort of on the diarrhea side. Um, I might reach for something like ProViable or Visbiome. That's more of a... Um, a daily or sort of an event use. Mm -hmm. uh, and then for anxiety, if we're going to use a supplement, yeah, there are lots of things out there um, that maybe we start just a few days before. Um, Zelkine, um, Anzatane, Soliquin, those are high quality veterinary brand products as well that um, that maybe we use more situationally. So right now there's not a anti-anxiety um, or it hasn't been studied, I should say that, that we wouldn't take them off and on of these, um, of the probiotics for anxiety. That's more, um, you take, you put them on it and we're going to leave them on that. Mm -hmm. And there's, in, there are several upsides to that. One is, okay, you prescribe something, anything, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about heartworm preventatives, nothing directly to do with what we're talking about. The big question there is compliance from people. Once a month, you forget to do it, right? However, mm -hmm. if you're doing it every day and you're just sprinkle it, uh, sprinkling it on the food, you know, it, the drug or uh, dietary supplement or nutraceutical or it doesn't matter is not going to work if people don't do it. And here's something that easily I think people do get in the habit of doing. Absolutely. So that's that's one component of compliance, right? The human side. The other side of it is the animal side. Mm -hmm. So the, most of these products taste pretty good to the animal, if not neutral, unlike most of our pharmaceuticals are do not taste very good. Uh, and then Purina has gone the extra mile and put their delicious liver animal 
flavoring in almost all of their products. And I have to be honest, sometimes I use those just as an appetite, so, you know, sort of as a topper of a low yeah. calorie topper for a cat or a dog that's not eating well. And usually because I'm a veterinary behaviorist, it's usually because they're also anxious. So, you know, that does double duty. And people ask me all the time, can you use them together? Absolutely. I use calming care and the Fortiflora products or another, um, you know, probiotic together um, all the time. So cats in particular, this is one of my, the calming care product is my go-to to start with them because a product is only as good as the amount you can get into that cat. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's well, you know, that's such a good point. I was going to bring it up as well that anecdotally, and I underline that word, but I have also heard exactly what you're saying that uh, dogs who, for a reason not even having to do with what we're talking about with anxiety, for another reason, uh, require an appetite stimulant, the first go to before entice or I guess mirtazapine can be used in dogs too, whatever it might be, uh, this is kind of an easy one to do and an easy one for pet parents to offer. Right. Neutral. No, I mean, very, it might have a benefit, almost no side effects. Um, it's supposed to be a hydrolyzed product, so it should be safe. And a lot of our pets that are on a limited ingredient diet, I will say that's not 100% in my hands, but I do, it is always worth trying. So what we didn't do, and we're running out of time here, but I do want to do it. I don't think we described exactly how calming care works to calm, uh, worried, nervous, anxious, might be the best of those words, dogs or cats. Well, I I started to, I, I think I did, I just didn't, it was too confusing. No, Let me no. see if I can. It was that whole gut-brain axis. Did I pair the, did I connect those two dots yet? that calming care takes advantage of the gut-brain axis. So calming care contains uh, a bacteria called Bifidobacterium longum, 999, uh, in that specific strain. Mm -hmm. And so that has been shown in some uh, rodents and some dogs. There's some studies in cats um, that to indicate that it does have an anti-anxiety effect. And the, we think it works by this bacteria creating an environment through those short chain fatty acids that promote the synthesis of beneficial neurotransmitters in the host organ. So be it a cat, a dog, a human, um, that the dopamine, the serotonin, uh, norepinephrine, those things that you might see in antidepressants, basically. Yeah, and I think it's also been shown on the Purina side, if you will, to work in humans, which is how this all began. Uh, to Someone said, oh, I think it can work in dogs, too. And they did the studies. It turns out that it does. You know, you're a veterinary behavior. So for me not to talk about behavior modification, I could go to jail for that. But we don't have, <laughs> we don't have a lot of time left here. But is it safe to say something like this, that if a dog or cat, or I guess a person is too anxious, then that dog or cat or person isn't going to be able to learn how to, how to go in a car without being nervous or whatever 
that anxiety is. I may not have said it articulately, but is that the idea? Absolutely. So fear blocks learning. So when we are too stressed and anxious and our pets, you know, if they're afraid, if they don't feel safe in that moment, you're not learning much constructive. Your brain is just not, mother nature did not hardwire us to learn things like that. So that's why um, in a nutshell, we don't advocate for what we call flooding. So if your dog, you know, isn't great with cars, don't take them on car rides over and over again and hope that they quote unquote get over it. What we want to try to do is expose them to something at a very low level that they can handle until they seem like we're reading the body language that they're seeming calmer and then we can gradually increase the intensity of it. So medications, I, I know it's so tempting with medications and supplements to say, oh, well, let me just give this and then I won't have to do all that. And that's just, you know, 90% of folks out there are going to be disappointed that we want to use these, you know, chemical alterations to create a more calming internal environment. So we behaviorists work on the external environment. And we also work on the internal environment to open them up to learning. So in almost every case, you want to pair with a whole, you know, a more comprehensive behavior treatment plan that includes environmental modification and behavior modification about the trigger that's causing the anxiety. Well, you've heard it from a superstar, Dr. Julia Albright. True. It is true, and it's good to talk to you. Hey, if you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access new toolbox items, and find all the additional resources at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. If you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, lucky you, you just heard from one of the best. Learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com. I'm Steve Dale.